Good morning, church. It's been a while since I've been up here. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Spencer. I'm usually serving coffee, but sometimes they give me a microphone, so we'll see what happens. Uh-oh. Thank you, Bill. Um, so this week, as I was prepping uh, for this morning, I was reminded of how awesome Scripture is. And so I just wanted to start this morning with an encouragement to you guys to study Scripture. Um, the Bible can be super intimidating. There's a ton of different books, different authors, different stories, um, a lot of theology, and it can be just super intimidating. But as I was making my way through it this week, I was just reminded that it is a beautiful thing. And it reminded um, me of skiing, in a sense. Um, I don't know if you guys enjoy skiing. I started skiing a few years ago. Um, one of my teachers is here this morning. Thank God for her. Um, maybe we have enough Californians in the room that you guys are like, snow sports are not really a thing. But for me, I love skiing. You get to the mountain, and sometimes the mountain is beautiful, you can see everything, the sky is blue, you take the lift up, and you just enjoy the entire day. Some days, it's super foggy, and you're like, why am I here? And the chairlift is going up, and I, I can't see anything. And then you get to the top of the mountain, you still can't see anything, and it's scary. And you make your way precariously down the mountain, and you learn a lot, but it wasn't fun. Sometimes it's foggy and the chairlift is taking you up and you go past the clouds and it's crystal clear. The trees are completely white because the fog had frozen itself to the trees and it just looks like a different world. As a reminded, there are times when you're in scripture, it's beautiful. Sometimes it's scary, sometimes it's confusing, sometimes it's frustrating, but the more consistent you are in it, the more humility you have while you're reading these scriptures, the more you realize you enjoy it, the more you realize that you are changing, that God is changing you. So I just want to encourage you guys um, to continue to read scripture, study it, take the time, pray that you would be humble while you read it, um, but yeah, but with that, let's get into Matthew 26. So we are in the book of Matthew transitioning from Jesus's teaching to the final events of Jesus's life. We're leading up to the events before the cross. Now this crucifixion of Jesus is the focal point of the whole Bible. The Old Testament is all pointing to the cross through Genesis, through Malachi. It points to Jesus and his sacrifice. And you have the Gospels, which tell the story of Jesus. And then after that, you have the epistles, which all point back to the cross. It is the focal point of scripture. It's the focal point of human history. It's the focal point of each one of our lives if we say that we are Christians. 
Verse 1 says, when Jesus had finished saying all of these things, all of the teaching, all of the parables, he told his disciples, you know that the Passover takes place after two days and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. This is the fourth and final time Jesus predicts his death, his arrest. And Passover is going to happen. Passover, um, during this celebration, thousands and thousands of Jewish people would come to Jerusalem, and they would be there to celebrate together the story of the Exodus. Way back when Moses brought the people out of Egypt and delivered them from Egypt, the captivity, so the slavery that they had. And so this was a giant party in Jerusalem, and the chief priests and the elders assembled and planned to assassinate Jesus, but they said not during this festival because we don't want rioting in the people. Now we know assassinating Jesus is a bad thing, but they don't want riots, and we can be kind of like, that's kind of confusing, like rioting obviously is a bad thing, but the chief priests and the elders weren't concerned with public safety. If there was rioting in Jerusalem, that would draw the attention of Rome. Rome was obviously over most of the known world, especially the Middle East, and they had control over Israel, over Jerusalem, and if they saw that Judaism was causing these riots, they would make it illegal, and it would squash what the chief priests and elders were all about, and they didn't want that. And before we move on just from this section, we, we know that this is necessary for the crucifixion, Jesus has to be arrested. He has to, um, there has to be a plot for his death. But these guys, the chief priests and the elders, we see them throughout the Gospels as the bad guys, the Pharisees. These guys are not good guys. But taking a step back and looking at who they were in Israel, they were the leading authority, they were the government. But if you were just to look at them on paper, these were the guys that wanted to conserve the traditions of Israel, of Judaism. They wanted to uphold morality in society. They wanted to keep Israel as Israel as possible, build strong borders, keep foreigners out. Some of us are like, yeah, of course those are the bad guys. Some of us are like, I voted for them. Scripture tells us that the church will be made up of everyone. From every tongue, tribe, nation, culture, subculture, everyone will be part of God's church. So will God's enemies. They will have that same attribute. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what your inclination is. God doesn't care if you are strictly a moral person? Are you a godly person? There are plenty of people on this planet that do great things, are considered good people, and they hate Jesus. The Gospels tell the story of Jesus coming to earth, ushering in the kingdom of God, and we see people respond differently to that message. Some people hate him. We're going to see some people love him. Some people use him for their own benefit. 
The chiefs, chief priests and the elders of Israel hate Jesus. But some people love him. Starting in verse 6, while Jesus was in Bethany, at the house of Simon the leper, a woman approached him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. She poured it on his head as he was reclining at the table. Um, over in John's gospel, if you want to flip over to John chapter 12, this is an account of the same story. Starting in verse 2 of John chapter 12, so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So John tells us that this woman that Matthew doesn't name is Mary. If you guys remember the story of Mary and Martha, where Mary is worshiping Jesus and Martha is serving, and we know the story of their brother Lazarus, who Jesus raises from the dead. In the Gospel of John, this story happens in the same week. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead in the same week that we're finishing out here. So this is super fresh in the mind of Mary. Her brother was just raised from the dead by this guy, Jesus. And they're at Simon's house. Simon who was a leper, not currently, was a leper. We can assume that he was healed by Jesus. Lepers were not allowed in the city limits. They were considered unclean. And so if you were at a leper's house, all of you would be considered unclean. So Simon, who is formerly a leper, is throwing the party at his house. And if this is the same week that Lazarus has been raised from the dead, and John tells us that he's there reclining at the table with Jesus and those eating. This would be a gathering to celebrate the miracles that Jesus has done in Bethany. They're there to party, to celebrate, and this uh, is still super fresh in the mind of Mary. And I was thinking about that, for those of us that are Christians, we've all, um, whether it be at our conversion or before or after, have been exposed to the miracles of Jesus. And we get saved, and we don't live a life of celebrating. We kind of treat it like we're, our Christianity is just us holding on, hanging by a thread. How you doing? Ah, uh, hanging in there, but doing better than I deserve just moping around, and we just treat it like... So I have never been to AA, but I see lots of movies where they have the meetings, and it's like, you know, some of us kind of act like that at church. We're like, oh, hi, I'm Spencer. Hi, Spencer. I'm saved. Yeah. I feel like too many of us get saved, and we spend the rest of our lives um, kind of perfecting our Clint Eastwood impression. Always look like we're staring into the sun, super cranky. And the truth is, Jesus delivered us, saved us from our sins. How are we going to respond to that? Are we going to be mopey, downcast, or are we going to be like Mary, who responds in love? We saw the chief priests hate Jesus. Mary, she loves Jesus, and she takes 
expensive perfume, it says. In uh, the other Gospels, it says that this is worth, worth 300 denarii. And uh, denarii was one day's wage. And so this is roughly a year's wages. So in Idaho, we're going to say this is between forty dollars and $50,000 um, worth of perfume. And it wasn't this um, aromatherapy. She didn't come to Jesus and, you know, hey, you look stressed. Here's some lavender and some bergamot. Let me put this on you. Um, this was an act of <coughs> worship, extravagant worship. I mean, if you think about Lazarus being raised from the dead, that doesn't happen ever. And this was her brother. Think about if you had uh, a sibling. Well, some of us don't care about our siblings. You can leave them there. Um, but not my siblings. They're great. Um, but what if you had like a child or a parent that died and Jesus rose them from the dead? I think enough of us have little kids in here that, you know, if you were to lose them, That would be crushing. And Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And Mary worships him by taking this perfume and anointing, washing his feet, his head. And this is, Mary has a track record of worshiping in passionate ways. We see her, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to every word probably crying as she's listening to him. Her sister Martha is not like Mary. She's one that serves, organizes, gets the food ready. Simon's there. He opens up his house, provides space, hospitality, and says in John's gospel that Lazarus is there. What's really interesting to me about Lazarus is he was raised from the dead. There's a whole chapter about him in scripture, and we don't have him saying anything. I think we can all think of those people that come to church and they're saved, they love the Lord. All of these people love the Lord, but they're just a quiet soul. They don't need to say anything. Hey, you're saved. How was the retreat? How was, you know, that time of prayer? And they're like, it was good. See, our job isn't to look at the worship in other people's lives and judge that, but to assess our own lives our own worship, are our lives defined by worship? There's a book out there, um, if you haven't read it, I would really recommend it. Um, it's kind of geared towards musicians, but I am not a musician, and I really enjoyed it, so don't let that shy you away from it. It's called Unceasing Worship by a guy named Harold Best. And in that book, he brings out the, points out the fact that God created humans as worshipers. We are always worshiping. It just depends on where that worship is pointed. Is our worship, and when we wake up and start our day, we're always giving ourselves over to something. Is that, you know, our careers? Is that our families? Is that our country? Is that our comforts? Is that our hobbies? We're worshiping something. Mary, her life was aimed at Jesus. Her worship 
was aimed at Jesus. In verse 8, it says, When the disciples saw it, Mary anointing Jesus, they were indignant. Why this waste? They asked. This might have been sold for a great deal and given to the poor. So I resonated with this a little too much. I think we've all been in that moment where we've been at a worship service and somebody is worshiping far more passionately than we are. And our first thought is, well, that's a bit much. It's kind of distracting. I don't know if they're making the worship experience comfortable for everyone else. But Mary loves Jesus. The disciples don't get it. And Jesus calls them out on it. He says, why are you bothering this woman? Verse 10. She has done a noble thing for me. You will always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Verse 12 says, By pouring this perfume on my body, she has prepared me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. The disciples said that that perfume could be sold and that money given to the poor. That's not a bad thing. But Jesus' point was that when something is done for him, no matter the monetary value, no matter the um, whatever value we ascribe to it, when it's done for him, it's a beautiful thing. And Mary, not knowing that Jesus was heading into his final week before the crucifixion, was preparing him for burial. She did not realize what she was doing or the significance of what she was doing. So in that culture, they would prepare the bodies for burial by covering them in ointment. And even the alabaster jar in the other gospel, it says that she broke it. Um, when uh, a person of wealth died, they would take expensive uh, ointments and cover them before they wrapped them up, and they would place that alabaster jar in the burial wrappings, and they would bury the person with these things. So Mary, in her moment of extravagant worship, plays a role in one of the biggest events of human history without her knowledge. She wanted to worship Jesus. She wanted to love him in the most extravagant way that she could think of. And because of that, we're talking about her today, 2,000 years later. We're talking about her. Jesus says that wherever the gospel is preached, people will remember this act. I think that, you know, that should encourage us when we want to worship Jesus, when our spirit is when we're giving our spirit over to him, there's a little thing in the back of my head that's like, oh, what am I going to look like? What are other people going to think of? There's always a hesitancy there. But Jesus says, when you worship me, full-blown, all out, that's when you're 
a part of something greater, a part of something bigger than yourself, a part of something that's going to be have eternal value. And the disciples had a hard time grasping that. In verse 14, it says, Then one of the twelve, the man called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they weighed out 30 pieces of silver for him, and from that time, he started looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. So Judas has had enough of his time with Jesus. The other Gospels tell us that Judas was uh, actually a thief. Out of the 12, he was in charge of carrying um, the money bag for Jesus' ministry, and that he would be skimming some of that off of the top of that. It kind of shows us why he wanted to sell the perfume and give money to the poor, because part of that would be his you know, brokerage fee. But he's decided he's had enough of hanging out with Jesus. You know, he's had some good times. He's had, uh, over the last three years, a lot of free food. I mean, Jesus just makes it. He's made some money. Saw a lot of uh, miracles, a lot of good close-up magic. But he's done. And what's interesting is this is the fourth time that Jesus has predicted his death. But none of the disciples actually believed that he was going to be arrested and going to die. I mean, Jesus, like, and we're like, those stupid disciples, they haven't been paying attention. Jesus, the three years that they've been hanging out with him, has said some crazy stuff. And for Jesus, you know, I mean, we all have that friend that says, like, random crazy things. You're all eating dinner and... You know, you're laughing, joking, and one of them's like, one day I'm going to die on a tree. And you're like, okay. Whenever Jesus is talking about his death, you know, I would be quick to write it off. They would be quick to write it off as we see all of them do not expect him to rise from the dead. But Judas especially says, you know what? Things are getting kind of crazy. I'm going to get J train. When I do, I'm going to see if I can make some more money. So he goes to the bad guys, the chief priest, and says, what will you give me? See, Judas, because he had the money bag, we see that all the other disciples trusted him. No one expected him to betray Jesus. But we see that Judas had a price and it wasn't 30 pieces of silver. The price that he didn't want to pay was his allegiance to Jesus. See, Jesus demands allegiance of his followers. We've been going over the teachings of Jesus. How many times did Jesus say, look, you, if you want to follow me, you need to love me more than you love money? more than you love your country, more than you love your family, more than you love your own life. And we don't like that. 
And this is where we get in trouble because we, we know the Bible is good. We know that we should be reading it. But when we get to parts that kind of make us feel uncomfortable, we just want to twist it a little bit. And so we, we use the Bible, verses here, verses there, nice little sayings we put on coffee cups, and we use that to reinforce what we're about there's a few books out there that talk about living your best life now. And I do believe that Jesus does provide the best life, best life you could ever have, but not in the way these books communicate. We get really excited about um, Christianity when it makes us feel good. We get really excited about songs on Sunday that uh, lift our spirits. But then we, we just try to infuse our own little ideologies, our own little desires into the life that Jesus has for us. See, when we give our lives over to Jesus, we're trading in our biography for a testimony. When you read biographies, it, it's about someone's life and the things that they accomplished, the things that they did, the things that they overcame, the things that they um, will be remembered for. And every single one of us wants a great biography. Every single one of us wants to leave a legacy. It's like, oh man, Spencer, he was a really good guy. He, you know, I think we all, my wife would disagree with me, but I think we all want to be rich and famous at some point. And so we want to be known. We want to have that recognition. We want to be seen. But when we give our lives over to Jesus, we're trading that in for a testimony. Now, a testimony is different than a biography because it's not about what you did. It's about what God did. It's not about what you overcame. It's about what God has brought you through. It's about what God has overcome for you. And sometimes we can get really hung up on testimonies. Um, so don't tell anyone. I have a couple tattoos. And the guy who did one of my tattoos, he loves the Lord. And when he was doing my tattoo, he was just sharing his testimony with me. And it was pretty intense. Um, he's just telling me, you know, I was in jail for killing a couple people, and then uh, somehow he got out. I didn't go into the details about that. And he's like, I was there at my house, and there's a demon in my house, and my dog saw the demon, and then I was praying, and Jesus, like, kicked the demon out of my house, and then I decided I'm going to live my life for Jesus, and I just can't get enough of him. I'm like, shoot. He's like, so how'd you meet Jesus? He's like, oh, me, um, I went to VBS. He's like, oh, is that like juvie? I was like, yep. And, and then I, I, that was it. I went to VBS. And there's a part of me that's like, oh, man, I wish I had a sweet testimony like that guy. Well, maybe not exactly like that guy, but close. But now that I have kids, I'm like, I'm praying they have boring testimonies. Like, 
Whatever your story is, when Jesus is involved, it's still a miracle. And I think we forget that. I think that we forget that when we sign up to be on Team Jesus, that that means that we're giving our lives to him. Scripture says that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness. We're no longer serving ourselves, but serving the one who saved us from hell. So to go back to my skiing idea, when we're studying God's word, when we're following Jesus, we're going to get to um, things that may be difficult, um, but we can't change scripture. If I'm skiing, I'm going down the mountain, and there's a tree where I don't want there to be a tree, I can't say, like, that tree's not there, or that tree doesn't apply to me, because that tree will kill me. I have to change my trajectory because of that tree. And when I get to places in Scripture where my ideas and desires don't line up with it, I can't say, well, that doesn't apply to me. I have to change and align my life, align my ideas, align my desires with what God has for me. Sometimes that's not fun. Sometimes that's boring. Sometimes it's tough, difficult to swallow. But as I look at this story, the characters that Matthew points out, I'm like, you know, which one of these people do I resonate with most. I don't feel like I'm the chief priests. I don't feel like I hate Jesus. I want to say I'm like Mary, but I really can't remember the last time I'd spent 40 grand on Jesus. Then you think about the other characters that are there. Maybe you're a Mary. But I was thinking, you know, the person that I think we could all immediately resonate with most is Lazarus because he was raised from the dead. Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under the wrath, as others were also. I think this next verse is Sir Mixalot's favorite verse because it's one of the biggest butts in the Bible. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. 
So when I look at, look at Lazarus and see a guy who was raised from the dead to live again, I have to say, that's me. I was living this way. God got a hold of me and gave me a new life. And the things that I care about so much, whether that be my job, whether that be building up security for myself, for my family, whether that be my hobbies, whether that be my country, my politics, whether that be whatever, I have to remember that I traded all of those things in to serve the one who raised me from the dead. I'm not writing a biography anymore. I'm watching the testimony that God has given me play out every day. So I'd encourage you guys, uh, worship team, if you guys want to come up, I encourage you guys to remember who Jesus is to you. And as we continue this story into his death and resurrection, that's not just something that we look back on. It's not something that we celebrate at Easter. It's not something that we get to check in and check out of. This is the event. This is the person that not only defines history, but defines our personal story. And so as we think about what this next week holds for us, where are you worshiping? What are you worshiping? What is your life aimed at? Is it something that you don't give a whole lot of thought to? Is it something that you just kind of hit autopilot? Or is it something that kind of takes you back and reminds you that Jesus did a beautiful thing and I need to do a beautiful thing for him. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.